Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Riley Dean, who's a third-year resident at the University of California, San Diego. Riley is originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He completed college at Louisiana State University and medical school at the University of Texas at Houston, McGovern Medical School. He's interested in microsurgery, plastic surgery education, and body contouring. Riley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm so glad you're here. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview about your program at UCSD. All right. We have a six-year integrated plastic surgery program. It's relatively new. Uh, so next year's graduating chief class will be the first integrated chief class to go all the way through. But the independent training program has been around for 45 years. So plastic surgery training has been going on for a fair amount of time in San Diego. And how many residents do you have per year? We have a total of nine integrated residents. So it goes back and forth between two and one residents per year. This coming application cycle will be taking two per year uh, with the ultimate goal of establishing a permanent two per year 12 uh, resident integrated complement. And is there still an independent component to the program? Yes, there is still an open uh, independent program. We have not filled that spot just electively for the last two years, but uh, this upcoming year we will have an independent general surgery trained resident starting with us. So a total of 10 residents. And can you tell me a bit about how much plastics exposure you get across the first three years? I would say relative to other programs that I, at least I was exposed to early on, we get quite a bit of plastic surgery exposure in our junior years. We get four months of dedicated one-month plastic surgery blocks our first year, six one-month blocks our second year, and then all plastic surgery after that time from third year on, with the exception of rotations where you're still learning plastic surgery procedures or concepts, such as on oculoplastic surgery, ENT, Facial plastic surgery where we're doing rhinoplasty or head and neck microsurgery. OMFS for facial trauma and orthognathic surgery. What's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastics rotations in the first two years? During early intern year, I think the focus is mainly on making sure you're a good doctor first, especially with regard to critical care management, which I appreciate. From there, in my experience, uh, off-service attendings went out of their way to teach and get me involved in the operating room with emphasis on how different procedures may relate to what I'll ultimately see in my career as a plastic surgeon. I enjoyed my experience on off-service rotations. And what are some of the different sites you work at? We have four main clinical sites in San Diego, two university hospitals, one Hillcrest location, which is closer to downtown, and that's a resident-run county hospital-type experience where uh, we see the majority of our hand and uh, facial trauma. It's the hospital where you'll typically see your more vulnerable or indigent patient population. We also do a, a fair amount of burn reconstruction. Burn is a, a separate service from plastic surgery, but contracture release or free flap reconstruction occasionally for that patient population is done by us. And then finally, uh, bread and butter plastic surgery procedures. Our other university hospital is... Jacobs Medical Center in La Jolla, 
which is about 12 miles north. And there, our primary focus of the service is complex cancer reconstruction with microsurgery, more emphasis on aesthetic surgery, and gender-affirming top surgery and facial feminization, for example. We have our VA hospital in La Jolla, which is across the street from Jacobs Medical Center. That is an entirely resident-run and, of course, a unique patient population in and of itself, being the veterans. A busy VA, I think, relative to most places in the country, given the high military presence in San Diego and cases there can be a mixed bag from lipoma excisions to breast or head and neck free flaps. And then last site is Rady Children's Hospital, uh, which is on the highway in between uh, the two university hospitals. Rady Children's is the largest children's hospital in California. And from our end, we perform the full spectrum of pediatric craniofacial plastic surgery, multiple cranial vault remodelings per week, microtia reconstruction, and longitudinal cleft lip and palate care from birth to late adolescence. And are there any fellows associated with any of the sites? We have one craniofacial fellow at Radio Children's. And how does that impact your experience there? I think, honestly, with the number of residents that we have and the volume that's present there, I don't know if we could do it without him. So our current fellow is just a treasure to have, but all of the fellows that have been here for my first three years, I think, have been much more educational and, and helpful to us, as well as offloading some of the clinical volume that we have there, as opposed to being a detriment to our experience in the OR. And can you tell me a bit about the research expectations at your program? As several others, I think, have said in previous podcast episodes, general expectation for us is to have one active project and one active quality improvement project per year. I'm not aware of any penalties that loom if we don't meet that mark, but Honestly, every resident tends to have a fair amount going on each year, and it never really becomes an issue. And how about like the support for your research, either as you're doing it or once you're ready to present? The division will pay for travel, food, lodging, registration comprehensively for one meeting per year per resident, in addition to any conference where we may have an abstract accepted for oral or podium presentation. And then on top of that, chief residents are reimbursed to attend the senior residence conference at ASPS every year. Is there any institutional support for research like coordinators or statisticians? We do have at least one research fellow per year. That fellow tends to act as the research coordinator, if you will. And for structure of of our ongoing research with the residents and medical students, We have weekly research meetings on Thursday mornings where everybody gives sort of a state of the union on ongoing projects, and that's another great place to recruit medical student or other help. We've established recently in the last few weeks a new initiative outreach for students that are underrepresented minorities and and those students without home plastic surgery programs to increase their engagement with some ongoing plastic surgery projects because, of course, for some students, that can be a challenge at their home institutions. Can you tell me a bit about what call is like? When we rotate on hand, it's a separate service because we do have a plastic hand attending, but the majority of our hand attendings are orthopedic hand surgeons. So I'll try to break up the call schedule in the context of one plastic surgery call, two facial trauma call, 
and three hand trauma call. For plastic surgery, all of these calls for us are home call, and we take about seven or so of these calls per month. Interns don't hold the pager overnight when they're on plastic surgery rotations. Of course, when you're off service in general surgery, that's a whole different issue that I won't address. But then during uh, our second and third years, we act as the first line of defense on call with always senior resident backup. For a facial trauma call, we split with ENT every other day. Uh, we are the odd days. And for hand call, we split with the orthopedics department. Our call pool takes 10 hand calls per month throughout the year. When we have a junior resident on the hand service, they take primary hand call, which, of course, things like nail bed lacerations, splinting, and some of that primary hand call experience. And then throughout the year, even when not on the hand service, when our senior residents are on call, they have either an orthopedic or plastic surgery junior resident initially filling those consults. Some senior residents have elected to take all 10 of these calls when they're on their month of hand surgery, which ends up creating a hand-intensive but hand-exclusive experience during that time. That's interesting that there's some like flexibility in terms of when you can arrange that in your schedule. No, there really is. And so long as it's equitable and makes sense for all parties involved, our leadership is very receptive to our requested changes, even if temporary, for things like that. And what's the mid-level support like? We have two physician assistants and one nurse practitioner, all mainly help in our clinic spaces in La Jolla and in Hillcrest, but one or more will float to our inpatient service at the La Jolla campus a couple times per week, typically, when we don't have adequate resident coverage for attending cases. So they're operative PAs? They are operative PAs and nurse practitioners. Two of the three are typically the ones that will come over inpatient side when needed. And then, of course, all spend time in outpatient setting. And are there any opportunities for electives, either within the institution or ones you can go away for in the later years? There are definitely opportunities for electives. We're lucky to have a pretty heavy autonomy with regard to our elective choices in our senior years. For example, Anthony Cordahi, who was the same insane man who did that exclusively hand call proposal that I talked to you about because he's interested in hand, also interested in microsurgery. And so he's currently a PGY-5. Last year, he spent a month in Changgung in Taiwan. And then this past year, or a few months ago, rotated with our regional anesthesia group during his elective time to improve his ultrasound skills. So just sort of tailoring to his interests. And again, if you give the faculty a proposal that makes sense and is in the spirit of education, they're typically very receptive to it. Are there a certain number of months per year blocked off for electives, or is it more fluid based on your schedule? So there are months blocked off per year, but if earlier on you have an ambitious idea for an elective especially for a global travel elective, then you can adjust as needed to move that month if it would be more conducive to, let's say, travel to Taiwan. And so going a little bit more into like global opportunities, are there any specific ones associated with your program, or is it more like the program is just very receptive to ones you can find? Definitely specific to 
our program and given the unique geographic location uh, with the Mexican border being about a 20 minute drive from my house, we have the opportunity in non-COVID times, of course, I think this speaks for pretty much all the things we've talked about, to travel about four times a year to Tijuana with Dr. Gosman's nonprofit organization, ConnectMed International. And there we'll provide cleft craniofacial surgical care in addition to occasional microsurgical reconstruction and other procedures based on need. That organization also has significant outreach in Malawi, Vietnam, and Mexicali, and Ensenada, other places in Baja, Mexico, that we have the opportunity to travel in our senior years if we choose to do so. And you mentioned a little bit about some of the aesthetic exposure, but can you just go into that experience a bit more? Now, of course, with a caveat, this is coming from a junior resident. We do get a fairly diverse cosmetic surgery experience between the volume at our university hospitals, time spent at some of the many community surgeon offices in town, and even during our off-service facial plastic surgery or oculoplastic surgery rotations. Our busy resident cosmetic clinic is the longest standing in the country. We see our own cosmetic clinic patients starting our fourth year of residency. And from that time, we're able to develop longitudinal care with these patients all the way through our chief year. The resident cosmetic experience is designed to be a graduating experience with the first year focused on breast and simple body contouring procedures, as well as uh, fillers and Botox, and then rising all the way up to chief year with more complex facial aesthetic procedures like rhinoplasty and facelifts. In addition to that, do you have specific months that are dedicated to aesthetic, or is it more sprinkled in amongst the normal rotations on service? It's mainly sprinkled in amongst the normal rotations throughout that entire three-year period. And so typically when you're on any university service, you will have uh, clinic hours during the week at that time. And then when you actually book your cases, the operating room, it'll typically be, not always, but typically when you're on your Jacobs Medical Center service. And can you go into a bit more about your exposure to gender affirmation surgery? Starting, I would say, three or four years ago, now we've begun to have ample exposure to gender-affirming top surgery with transgender breast augmentation as well as a mastectomy. And in the past, I would say one or so years, an increasing amount of volume with facial feminization, ranging all the way from rhinoplasty and genioplasty to more intensive craniofacial surgery. Can residents moonlight? No, they cannot. And are there any other particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Loops, food, parking, Patagonia? Ooh, Patagonia. I was the Patagonia liaison this past year. I'd love to pass that job off to somebody else. But we do get customized jackets every year. There's something called the San Diego House Staff Union. It's a resident union for all house staff members in the city of San Diego. And one of our other PGY5s, Sean Lee, is the current president, which comes with its benefits. But through that house staff union, they go to bat for us. And given the what we call the sun, sunshine tax in San Diego, higher cost of living, and I guess rightfully so, for the weather we pay for, but a $6,000 housing stipend, of course, things like health and dental insurance, $500 educational stipend, and our step three fees, as well as 
medical board licensure fees are all paid for, and that is probably an additional $1,500. For additional loops, books, or other expenses from our program specifically, we get an additional $400 per year. Uh, for example, last year, I already had purchased my loops and had my textbooks from online, so I used some of that to buy some AirPods. They said it was okay because I was using them for Zoom. I stand by that purchase. Other perks, I think, are didactic experience, especially within this past year. We've completely revamped it to starting on Wednesday mornings, and that allows us to work at its incredible facility called Center of Future of Surgery. It's a state-of-the-art surgical simulation center, which includes a really fancy microsurgery lab. Our didactic conferences, which are resident-led, had major pull from notable visiting professors and lecturers. And then after that time, every week we're either as a resident unit in the microsurgery lab together dissecting cadavers relevant to whatever didactic topic we discussed. So, for example, this past week we discussed breast reconstruction with pap flaps. We read a recent PRS journal article on the topic, and then we had a fresh cadaveric specimen where I, by myself, raised a pat flap. So really, really nice. And I credit completely, again, Anthony Cordahi and uh, Paige McLean, who it was their initiative completely to revamp our educational program. They thought there was a way for us to improve upon it. And the uh, leadership said, the leadership gave it a green light. That's awesome that residents are that motivated to make that kind of suggestion and the leadership is receptive to it. Definitely, and I feel very fortunate for that. I think it can go both ways. There's the program and the resources that are made available, the clinical volume and all the things laid out for you. You can do amazing things. Of course, San Diego is an extremely fun place to live and with that comes some distractions. So I think People who are self-motivated, self-directed, that can really harness some of the resources that are available would be the ones that would thrive the most. And that doesn't mean you don't have to enjoy any of what San Diego has to offer, too. But if you need a lot of early direction early on, it might be a little distracting. What area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? If you ask me what a relative weakness of this program was six years ago, of course, I wasn't here six years ago, but from what I know, I would say microsurgical breast reconstruction, which is huge because that's, that's a very important part of our training. But in that short period of time, with uh, additional faculty hires, namely Dr. Reed, who is a resident here and completed a UCLA microsurgical fellowship, as well as uh, Dr. Frederick Kolb, who is a senior microsurgeon master wizard from France, I'd argue that our micro experience and the autonomy that comes along with that is incredible. Uh, halfway through my third year of residency, I've already been able to perform anastomoses and nerve coaptations under the, underneath both the microscope as well as the loop magnification. Our division also does a fair amount of uh, head and neck microsurgical reconstruction in addition to breast extremity and lymphedema surgery. Uh, which I think also makes us fairly unique relative to other places. And how would you improve your program? Our program has been in a massive period of growth over the past six years or so. 
with no apparent signs that, of that growth slowing down. That has been great for individual resident case numbers, but I think now we can easily support additional residents. Fortunately, like I had said before, we are taking two integrated interns this coming year, along with another independent resident. There are some other niche disciplines within plastic surgery that we could have an improved experience with, namely brachial plexus, complex congenital hand or gender-affirming bottom surgery. We have a new faculty member starting early next year that plans to be the one to fill out that congenital hand and peripheral nerve experience. Now I'd love to hear a bit about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. The program chair is Dr. Amanda Gosman. She's a pediatric craniofacial surgeon and also has actually, given the amount of time that she's over at the University Hospital, a pretty robust adult reconstructive practice as well. She's a very impressive lady. Our program director is Dr. Samuel Lance. He's another pediatric craniofacial surgeon at Rady and also is the director of our burn reconstruction and adult facial trauma experience. They are terrific, terrific people to work with. Dr. Gosman is, I think, to many of us, a, a superhuman, and you wonder how she's able to get it all done but still be normal. And so with that comes a, a certain self-imposed fear in the operating room of, of not disappointing because, you know, you just want to, to be at her standard. She is our fearless leader and follower off a cliff, I guess. Is a great educator and, and like I said, very, very savvy in the OR. And Dr. Lance is probably one of the nicest human beings I've, I've ever met. Very, very committed to our education. Cited some of the previous examples and mainly when we're, we have those proposals to change our, either our call schedule or our education experience that goes through him. And he's the one that's been so receptive. We kind of joke that it was as like he was created in a lab to be a program director. So you've talked a bit, I think, about how residents help shape things like curriculum. What other kind of roles do residents play in either the interview process or other departmental changes? The entire residency group, including junior residents, we do fortunately have the privilege to have a role in our annual residency selection process. And part of our initiative this year with a specific interview selection process with cultural competency in mind. We have all been tasked with residency applicant selection. We have a very much a say-so in following interviews who we prefer as a candidate and even more importantly, who we think would not be a great fit for a program. And a lot of that comes down to it's a small, tight-knit family group. And so it's a, a time of year we just take really seriously make sure we don't pick the wrong one. Just to reiterate prior points, I think since I've been around, if any major change made to our, our schedule or overall workflow, we as a resident group are uh, approached for our input and suggestions rather than just for our obedience. The best example I can even think of is the change in curriculum as we discussed. Now I'd love to hear a little bit more about the relationships amongst the residents and also especially the relationship between the integrated residents and the independent residents, both in the OR and out of the OR. Really not to sound cliche, I have to go back through prior podcasts and see if people have said this, I bet they have, but we really do have a family environment with one another, both in and out of the hospital, and I truly mean that. People will stick around and help 
other residents finish their work to get out of the hospital. So the same thing is seen for residents that are on call together. Teamed up with multiple of my co-residents on different research projects. I still have some ongoing. Our didactics are structured to where residents have to hold each other accountable for either cadaver dissections, prosections, or presentations. In the rare instances, this is one I think might not be discussed as much, but in the rare instances when conflict resolution is needed between us, it's handled the same way you would handle a disagreement with a sibling, and it's direct and it's just healthy. We're an extremely tight-knit crew. Outside of work, if I'm not spending time with myself alone or my wife, I'm hanging out with one or more of them. I surf with my co-residents. I've gone on vacations to Mexico with my co-residents. I've had Christmas and Thanksgiving dinners with co-residents, etc. I could keep going. And how about the relationship between the independent group and the integrated? They fall completely in line with all those things. One of my close friends who has a graduated chief, Dr. Adam Houck, who's doing an aesthetic fellowship in New Orleans, he was my chief, you know, PGY 1 million, whenever I was the second year on service. And there's a hierarchy in the sense that you respect how much time they've spent dedicated to postgraduate training up to that point and the knowledge base they have. But there's a lot that we both were learning together simultaneously about plastic surgery, because that's why they're there, too, ultimately, is to do the same thing as us, and that's learn about plastic surgery procedures and principles. My fearless partner in crime, Sarah Crowley, who's our current chief independent resident, uh, she and I just finished the multiple-month meat grinder at our La Jolla Jacobs Medical Center service, and I don't think I could have done it without her. It's just nice to have a a seasoned general surgeon perspective on things sometimes. So now I'd love to hear a little bit more about just the logistics of how residents live in San Diego. I looked it up. There's nine current residents. Six of us own and three of us, including myself, rent. And we live in, it's kind of a mixed bag, houses and apartments, probably split 50-50 between the two. I live in a house with a small yard for my golden doodle. Uh, a lot of us have dogs. And in terms of where, where we live in San Diego, because of the different clinical locations, uh, we live all over town. Some live right next to the beach. Some live closer to our La Jolla campus. And some, like myself, are closer to the Hillcrest Hospital or downtown. I like my neighborhood because I'm close to the trauma hospital, which typically generates our overnight consults. And, and because it's extremely walkable to the grocery store, favorite restaurants of mine, and even my dentist. There's no perfect place to live given our, all of our clinical locations, but that is within the context of knowing that living about anywhere in San Diego is about the best place to live. I'm just, I'm flexing, yes. Up north in La Jolla is quiet. It's close access to world-class beaches. If you live right in between the two that I just talked about, it's no longer than a you know 15-minute commute to anywhere you want to go clinically even in the worst traffic. And then finally, a little quick caveat, traffic has never really gone back to normal since COVID started. So if we can all keep our fingers crossed that that's permanent. Is it necessary to have a car for your program? It is definitely necessary to have a car. And that's probably true for most Southern California programs. Across the residents are most single, in relationships, have kids. So again, I ran the numbers. Four are single, if we count 
relationships. Two are engaged to be married, three are married, and there's one baby amongst the current cohort. Although last year we had a real baby boom between residents, PAs, we had babies everywhere. There's an Instagram post about that. They're very cute. So besides the weather, what else do you like about living in San Diego? The weather cannot be overstated. Having not grown up or really visited here much in the past, nicest place I've ever lived. Proximity to the ocean is unbeatable. Even with my long surgical residency hours, I'm able to go out and surf, which of course has been a new hobby for me coming from South Louisiana a few times per week. My wife and I also love hiking, exploring nearby wineries and, and new neighborhoods and finding other fun ways to exercise outside. The proximity to Mexico, we talked about that from a residency training advantage, but with that comes a lot of unique tourism you can see down there, as well as travel domestically within Mexico to other parts of that country and other places in Central America. There's mountains nearby. There's Los Angeles, if San Diego's not good enough for you. It's really got a lot going on, and... Uh, to bring me to my next point, uh, affordability. So San Diego is an expensive place to live. I don't think it would be considered the most expensive place in the country. I think it's beat by Manhattan and the Bay Area and some other places. I will say with our housing stipend and our annual salary, the cost of living here is quite affordable. All of my co-residents and I live quite comfortably and are still making money, not just piling on additional debt. That's mostly everything I wanted to cover. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency program in general? I love it here. This will sound like propaganda, but I think our program really does provide the structure, resources, mentorship, and culture to train leaders in plastic surgery. I think those who would be most successful here, as we've talked about before, are self-driven and able to be productive despite all the fun San Diego has to offer. And those applicants who would be uh, comfortable with early autonomy in the OR, as you can really have a superb operative experience if you're ready to hit the ground running. And that just is a testament to the volume and the number of residents that we have here. And what would be the best piece of advice you'd give to an applicant this year? We published a PRS Go article in October uh, about virtual interviewing tips. And so outside of that, you know, that's just for a little technical thing. I hope that it can, it can help one of you listening. Uh, remember that the match is a two-way street and your specific interest within plastic surgery may change, but try to identify programs that have people that you think you could work with for six years and places where you think you can make the most personal growth with the opportunities and resources available there. It's not an easy thing to do, especially virtually, but I wish everyone the absolute best of luck. And how can interested applicants find out more about your program? Interested applicants can visit our resident curated Instagram page with the handle at UCSD Plastic Surgery. Please feel free to DM with any questions or comments if you'd like to see other content on that page, so on and so forth. On that page, you can also find the link to our residency website. We also have a less active Twitter presence uh, at UCSD underscore PRS. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Riley. 
was an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.